Welcome to the Property Management Mastermind Show with your host, Brad Larson. Brad owns one of the fastest growing property management companies in San Antonio, Texas. This podcast is for property managers by property managers. You'll hear from industry leading professionals on best practices, new ideas, success stories, and lessons learned. This is your opportunity to learn about the latest industry buzz surrounding property management, as well as tips and strategies to improve your business. Property Meld is a smart maintenance coordination solution proven to turn maintenance headaches into profitability. Our maintenance coordination hub connects all property management companies key players in one location, providing maintenance oversight and efficiency to property management maintenance teams. Our solution streamlines communication throughout the coordination process, resulting in the oversight and efficiency property managers need to create a profitable maintenance operation. Property Meld delivers property managers with a positive maintenance experience. Check out more information at propertymeld.com or reach out at info at propertymeld.com. With Brent Bridges' property management, marketing, and workflow automation tools, take your business to the next step. Reduce overhead costs by up to 60%. Eliminate human error through automation. Make all your processes consistent and predictable. Have transparency and control through detailed and sophisticated reporting. For property managers that want to work smarter, not harder, RentBridge. Call us 972-805-8535 or visit rentbridgegroup.com. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Property Management Mastermind Show. I'm your host, Brad Larson, and today's guest on location is Mr. Ray Hespin himself at the Property Meld Mothership here in Rapid City, South Dakota. Ray, what a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Man, I'm excited. Well, I'm excited for you to be down here. It's not every day that I sit there and be like, hey, I'm gonna be in the neighborhood. Uh, can I stop by and can we do a podcast? So I'm super excited. Yeah, it's really cool. So we're doing a little RVN up here. We went to Mount Rushmore yesterday. I had the Mount Rushmore souvenir I have with my monster, my trademark monster. And so we are here and gonna do a quick interview, talk about some industry trends, what's going on in the world, in the, in the property milled maintenance world. We use property milled at RentWorks and I'm a big fan of it. We have it fully integrated with our remote team members, with our on-site team members. We use our vendors with it, and it's been a great solution for us. So right off the bat, kudos to you and your team for building such a great service, because I truly do feel it's one of those fantastic things that is a game changer in the maintenance world. You always got to go heavy in maintenance. I always tell people that business development is one thing. Okay, accounting is a, is a crucial part. But if you do maintenance wrong, it's going to really bite you more than anything else. So that aside, so what do you want to talk about today, Ray? Well, thank you. So first of all, I think one of the things that you and I were just kind of, as we were kind of hamming about, just talking about what we we're going to roll through, I think there's a lot of th exciting things happening in the industry. Just, you know, and as we've been going, starting to be able to go to conferences again and things like that, is just addressing some of the, the changes that we're seeing even in the, in the market. Um, everything from how people are even managing their business between remote team members and not. Um, we're seeing the institutional money pour in. What's that going to do for the industry? Um, we're seeing a lot of different changes. So I don't know. What do you, where do you want to jump well, up on? You mentioned in the green room, we talked about the last conference of the Property Manager Mastermind Conference that you went to, and you said quite a few folks were expressing concern, interest, just had some questions about this institutional money coming in. So. How do you define that and where do you see the opportunities for property managers? So I think what's really cool about it is, you know, in 08, 09, property management became a formal business, right? Because of the housing market crash, people were sitting there doing it. Well, now, um, kind of in similar fashion, it's the next evolution, it feels like. Um, private equity is actually looking at this space as a very viable option to invest money and get great returns out of. It's safe, it's, uh, it's something that's a hedge against inflation. And so we're seeing a lot of things, uh, a lot of funds partner with large scale property management firms or, or even smaller ones sitting here going, we wanna buy assets and, and have you manage them. Let's think about this. So one of the <clears throat> side effects that people forget about is when maintenance is conducted at a high level, the reviews stay high on Google. The reviews stay high on Yelp, or at least they're not as bad. Yeah. Because what we're doing is we're trying to rep, you know, do our reputation management. Mm -hmm. We're getting maintenance done at a high level. 
And then the industry outside of this, like the, the institutional money, the Wall Streeters, they see this like, wow, these guys are doing the right thing. They are yeah. acting as professional mm -hmm. property managers. People are not complaining daily about the toilets leaking. Right. And so they're like, okay, well, this is not what we thought it was. Mm -hmm. Maybe we want to put some billions into it or trillions into this whole scenario. I think that's a really good observation. I think the professional property management has actually made it safe to put money there. Because, as you know, um, landlords have historically had a bad name, some rightfully so, some wrongfully so, um, because of some people working outside regulatory conditions. So that's where you tend to see the, the landlord-friendly and the renter-friendly type states, is because a lot of the things that happen in that market. But as professional property management, living in the compliance, driving for great retention, great experience, and more predictability has probably made it more of a safe space to say, you know, this single family rental um, market seems really interesting. You know what we should have done? We should have started with your <laughs> elevator pitch. So you and I get stuck in an elevator for a minute, 60 seconds. What is Property Meld Go? Oh, okay. All right. So Property Meld is a smart maintenance platform. Uh, just like you said, uh, maintenance is one of the most important things that drives the business. It drives whether a renter stays, renews. It drives the amount of turnover that you have, turns that you do. It drives how much an owner stays, um, how easy it is to attract an owner, how easy it is to lose one. And so basically Property Meld takes all the chaos that is maintenance and basically puts it in a platform that coordinates all players, makes it a great experience, and uh, drives for a really efficient maintenance process. So when you say coordinate all player, define that a little bit better for me. <clears throat> so in maintenance, you have renters that are in the home, you have the property manager, you have vendors, you have technicians, you have an owner that actually owns the property. So it's about bringing in the right people at the right time that need to coordinate an effort to go get that done. Um, as you can imagine, putting five different people that are in five different locations and saying, I need you to all figure this out, is really difficult. Yeah. And the property manager is the coach. It's the back and forth stuff that kills us. Um, because just imagine, <clears throat> hey, my tenant calls in or tenant emails in, I have a leaky toilet. Right. Okay, property manager has to call the tenant. When are you available? Tenant says this, property manager has to call the vendor. Vendor says, I'm not available then. Vendor has to go back to the property manager. Property manager has to go back. Dude, I could do this scenario all day. It'll make your head spin. But what we've seen is the combination of the meld platform, working with remote team members, working with on-site vendors, working with on-site staff members in my office has been a great solution for mm -hmm. us. In fact, we were just talking about this in the green room. We're expanding our remote team members mm -hmm. and dedicating more remote team members to, do, to doing just maintenance. Mm -hmm. Now, I believe we're going to need an in-house coordinator at all times yeah. because the on the ground, in my market center, her name is Lexi. Mm -hmm. Lexi does all the vendor screening, all the vendor relationships, because that's where we really have to have boots on the ground, eyeball to eyeball, to interview these vendors right, and then put them into the meld system. And when they have questions, we're there to, to mm -hmm. ease them through the process. And so we've seen some things that have come into the space. Mm -hmm. There's these opportunities to get into these, these uh, vendor screening scenarios. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of them out there and they want to take the vendor's information, they want to run them through credit checks, they want to run them through the bureau checks, mm -hmm. and they want to spit them out the end with all the insurance and say, okay, these are good to go. Right. Well, the hesitancy is property managers right now in this really tight vendor world don't want to give away that it's like the you know, they want to put them in the witness protection program you know what i mean they do not want to give away their best plumber vendor their best their best make ready vendor they don't want to give those vendors away uh to somebody else and then they make it hard for them yeah right vendors want the easy button these are busy busy folks and they don't want to go through a lot of this stuff where they have to be screened. Mm -hmm. I think there are some good services out there. I could, I could see the horror stories happening, mm -hmm. you know, where this vendor came out, it was a felon, and there was some mm -hmm. weirdness going on with a, with a tenant. I get it. There's yeah. something missing in the drawer of a tenant. Yeah. That's, that's going to happen no matter what. Yeah. And so what we talked about in the green room was, you know, putting those barriers of entry in front of the vendors makes it difficult. We had a few comments going back and forth. Go ahead. Yeah, I think one of the, the interesting things is COVID hit. And what people don't realize, the amount of service issues, we're watching this because we're like, we know stuff is breaking in the home at the same frequency, maybe even more of more people being home, but the service issue submissions are going down. Well, the problem that that creates is these vendors that are relying on this livelihood are sitting there panicking, right? Like, do they go out and do something differently? Do they go and do something else? And so we have an assumption that, <clears throat> um, that the amount of vendors that in there, we lost some. 
just the supply of vendors in the market. Maybe they let their licensure expire. They weren't going to pay for that. They didn't know how long this was going to last. They dropped out. Well, as we were paying attention, we called it our COVID backlog. There was some work that we knew was going to come and come back up. Um, that ultimately popped up a little bit quicker than we probably thought. Uh, but anyways, came in, vendors were busy again, and everything was going. We did start seeing some increased costs, a little bit more increased volume. The resources were strained. Now pile on top the insane building real estate market that the institutional money is going on. You're taking that same resource of vendors and you're throwing at it significantly more work which is making it even more difficult for people to find good quality vendors probably than it was um, even in a tight vendor market in 2019. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, it's super problematic. It's probably gonna be rough for the next five years. Along those same lines, I'm gonna blindside you with this one. It's good to talk about because I have some experience in it, is we always see the people with the fork in the road of either in-house maintenance or they use the third-party vendors. And so you have seen both scenarios mm -hmm. in great, great detail. Mm -hmm. I've done both scenarios at Brentworks in San Antonio where I had an in-house maintenance team. We had two technicians, two trucks, and we were running them like mm -hmm. crazy in the summer. And then in the winter, it just slows down and they're picking their nose. Yeah. And it's really just like you're paying them for hardly anything because it winter, everything yeah. slows down in the winter, mm -hmm. of course. But then you have the third-party vendors, and we seem to have that kind of yeah. in, a, in a really good solution. It's a good place for us. The challenge is people think they're gonna make more money with the in-house mm -hmm. versus the third-party vendors. <clears throat> and so, you know, in the in-house, I, I would say in my history, we made a little bit of money, but mm -hmm. not much. With the third-party vendors, you can actually absolutely make money and have zero headaches. Yeah, I, so I, I think there's kind of uh, there's kind of a couple interesting things. I think this ties into even the remote team members uh, component because it comes down to how do professional property managers get more competitive financially. As there's more money coming into the market, the, there's going to be a divide of who is really rocking this business, who can get more competitive in pricing, and who's not evolving and running in their systems and costs the same way they are. And it's gonna cause some major issues. So um, I actually look at uh, internal technicians as the vertical integration of a portion of the business. Um, and I think the major potential competitive advantage um, in general is if you can find ways to make more money in ways that are not necessarily uh, relying on fees or some of the things just we don't know how the competitive market's going to change. The more you can hedge yourself into that I think the better off they are. Now <clears throat> uh, I've seen some reports like there's horror stories of using internal technicians and there's horror stories or not horror stories, there's great stories that says we make 50, 60% of our revenue on this right. and trying to like, why is there such a great divide? So one of the things that I, I, I'm a big believer in, I do believe in the long term of property management, how do you control costs? Because that's gonna be it, it's controlling costs. Um, it's gonna require a blend. Um, if even you look in multifamily right now, they're primarily, they've had this um, ratio of 100 rental units for one technician. It's been the same ratio they've had for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And we're even starting to see in multifamily, they say, this is inefficient to have a technician all year trying to match all this. So there's even conversations of them decoupling and running like single family. But where people seem to be marrying up is this notion of a blend. Now, the problem is the tooling is not super great there, which is what can create it. But anyways, I'm kind of going into too much detail. But if you're able to vertically integrate a portion of your business and make it profitable, you're basically not only able to control the quality, kind of the resourcing, the training of that particular business, but if you can actually gain revenue off of that, the revenue that those third-party handyman vendors are doing, and bring it into your business, that's a competitive advantage. Well, let's, let's boil this down into a real simple question. How do you make money on an in-house maintenance program? There's two KPIs um, that everybody needs to track. So one is technician utilization rate. That is basically how much time they are logged into billable work versus how, many, how much time you're paying them on the payroll. That's one. Um, but you need a second KPI just to make sure that your technicians aren't just absolutely taking six hours to change out the guts of the toilet. The, the second one is jobs per day. And basically between those two and with some little intelligence to understanding, you know, a handyman should be able to produce certain things versus certified plumber versus all that. 
Um, <clears throat> those are two metrics that you have to have. Now, in order to get those two metrics to perform, that's where you have to start. How do I intelligently schedule? How do I intelligently route? How do I intelligently do this that make those two numbers look good? But if you get those two numbers in the right place, uh, those are magic um, from an operational standpoint. And there's some good, good points to that. Like you do have full control. So you can schedule your technicians. They're on your payroll from eight to five, whatever the hours are. And you can make sure that they're getting jobs done and you can have some quality control. Mm -hmm. So there, there's a, some benefits to that. You can make it a great big point of difference for mm -hmm. your company to say we have in-house technicians, which means they're pre-screened, they have FBI checks, they yeah. have this, that, the other, and they're on our payroll and we have our thumb on them at all times. Mm -hmm. The other part is they can make some money on the big jobs, yeah. which they may have to bid out. Yeah. You know, it just depends on your, your owner investor base. I mean, imagine a full make ready, mm -hmm. okay, tenant vacates, Needs new paint, needs fresh carpet, you know, needs a whole whole cleaning service, mm -hmm. maybe a couple handyman stuff. I mean, that's a four, five, eight thousand dollar job yeah. to turn that property because it, you know, the tenant mm -hmm. lived in there for five years. Yeah, and it's it's an everyday thing like that. That is a a lot of it's a challenge for some. Um, you know, the industry standard is is four to seven days, you know, for a turn. I don't know if there even is an industry standard. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, you hear, the, you hear some property managers, oh, we turn our properties in 24 hours. And I'm like, okay, I don't necessarily believe that one either. But then- <laughs> It's like you, se separating the pitch to a landlord correct. versus what the numbers are. And uh, you start hearing people say, you know, like 10 or 15 days, ooh, that's, that's a long time. Yeah. I mean, there's the happy medium mm -hmm. because every day you're off the market, you start doing the math on that for the mm -hmm. owner investor, mm -hmm. and it gets ugly. We're mm -hmm. talking 100, 200 bucks a day that they're losing mm -hmm. for every day that you're slacking off. And so there's also utility connections that are a big concern in there too. You know, there's some services out there that where they take over utilities. Some property managers mm -hmm. are doing that in-house where they take over utilities. So the concept is tenant vacates, and if somebody's not paying attention to the utilities, that's a just an absolute brick wall that you run into mm -hmm. because the tenant leaves, Right, you're leaving your rental property, what are you doing? Calling the utility provider and turning off my utilities because I'm not paying for energy that I'm not living in. And so the make ready crew shows up two, three, four days later, no power, no yeah. water. And that's where the make ready stops and the make ready crew disappears. And they say, well, we can get you on the schedule for next week, you know, 10 days from now. And that's where the property manager just like, whoa, big egg on their face at that point. Yeah, and, and the, the whole big thing is I'm, I've become so bullish on not only the acquisition, but the retention of owners is where that starts to impact, right? If an owner feels, and, and again, perception is reality um, with anything. If they feel like they're losing more money working with you, <clears throat> then we're doing it by themselves, they're gone. So all those different interactions play a key role. Um, one of the, the, the stats that I've begun to tout out around through some of the institutional readings that I've found um, is that around once uh, the annual repair cost of maintenance uh, exceeds 10% of the rent roll, they're significantly gonna bounce. So all that stuff, the turn time, the egregious uh, HVAC bill that happens, it's like how can we keep shifting that to make the owner sit there and go, no, 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 we can do this better than you. Like you couldn't do this as well as we can. Um, so yeah, 1,500 a month times 12 <laughs> equals 18,000. So 10% that's eight, that 1,800, <laughs> 1,800 a year in maintenance. Right. That's, yeah. So if it's significantly higher than that outside of make ready, mm -hmm. right? You're, that's where you're talking outside of the make ready. Then, yeah, I could see them being like, whoa, what's going on with this? Why is it $300 for a fence repair? You know, $900 for a new toilet. You know, they start seeing stuff like that. And yeah, you're, you're going to have some issues. And, and that's actually where the competitive advantage, I think, partially. So the reason I talk about in a blended. Um, so there's a ratio that I found, especially as you get to be larger, the more closer you can get to that and stay profitable is around 60% internal work, 40% external. Um, when, if you can reach that, it's good. Because the thing that you just mentioned about having people sit on their hands, like the seasonality and stuff like that, becomes super problematic that you can't afford to keep them on. Like you can't afford to keep those technicians, which is why multifamily is sitting there going, this is lost money over here. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> But the, uh, the thing that is actually really interesting about that, the 60-40 blend and, and you know, all, all that kind of internal technician side, is the fact that if you can do that, that's the competitive advantage when you talk to an owner, you're gonna be paying consumer pricing for whatever you do. I have a team and we discount ourselves. 
right against it. It's a competitive advantage whether you actually do or just mildly beat or whatever. Um, it's incredibly powerful from a sales tactic, I so think, and a retention think about this. tactic. Let's not skip past this. Okay, okay. I want to dive into this a bit more. So you're thinking a 60-40 blend, mm -hmm. 60 internal, 40% mm -hmm. external, third-party mm -hmm. vendors. Mm -hmm. That's a winning formula. Yeah. Okay, tell me more. I mean, this is this is intriguing for me. So I'm, I'm thinking <coughs> of RentWorks. I'm like, okay, we're using all third-party vendors. I've yeah. been wanting to in-house some things such as carpet cleaning or mm -hmm. maid service or even just the general handyman stuff, which is the most difficult. And you hear property managers out there, they buy a carpet cleaning truck. Yeah. And then they, you know, you've heard this, and they do it themselves. <laughs> and, you know, there's some stories out there, and they make good returns on that. Yeah. So tell me more about this 6040. <clears throat> so first of all, I'm a big fan. I'm not a big fan of ultimately buying a maintenance company that services everything else. I think building a maintenance company that's built for the process, specifically of property management and your processes is where it becomes very powerful. So I'll just kind of start there. Um, but looking at what are those types of repairs you can, you're constantly going after and you're never running out of work. That's gotta be the first jobs you take in. Handyman is almost like number one all the time. And then the more you scale out, the larger you get, that's when you can start to be in like, how many HVAC repairs do we have on a regular basis? And can we carry a full-time employee during that? So it's basically looking at the workload and going throughout the entire year, can I maintain somebody here? And plopping them in. So let me illustrate a point there because <clears throat> Uh, thinking back on this, I, I misspoke. We do have some in-house maintenance. Mm -hmm. Remember we had started this business called Manager's Rekey? Yes. And so I yeah. took over all of the rekeying effort and all of the, uh, you have to rekey it, you have to install smoke detectors, you have to change out the filters, and we do our inspection services in-house. So we created our own little entity. They have two vans and they go out and they do all the smoke mm -hmm. detector changes and the, change the locks and they do all that stuff in-house because we were spending so much on third-party vendors, but doing it so repetitively that we saw an opportunity, and then we have full control. Mm -hmm. And so that's a, that was a winner for us. Yeah. Now, going to an actual question here, what do you recommend you outsource? So it's all like the, <clears throat> it's a ratio of like the size, because basically what happens there is if you, you know, what you don't want to do is bring in an HVAC, like a certified that's HVAC super tech. super troublesome. Yeah, yeah. you sit there and go, this is going to happen in the summer and depending on where you live, you know, if you're in the south, it's a lot more important, but you really have to look at your work order log and going how many jobs a day. You should be able to keep anybody at least 3 to 5 jobs a day like to just maintain profitability. And just looking across your annual, you know, work order density and looking for those different categories to sit there and go, "Hey, can I bring them in?" Are you tired of chasing tenants to comply with having renter's insurance? Insurance Management Group can solve this problem with a master tenant's insurance policy. Keep tenants in compliance with your lease agreement and help protect all parties involved. A master tenant's insurance policy can also add an additional revenue stream to your business. Contact Derek Scott at 918-728-8992 or visit imgadvisors.com. To learn more, listen to the Property Management Mastermind Show podcast, episode number 36. So let me tell you this too. So Mr. Good Idea Fairy, right? I'm like, I'm going to do what Ray's talking about. We looked at HVAC specifically. Okay. And on an annual spend, and it was like twenty thousand bucks, twenty-five thousand mm bucks -hmm. that we generated, or excuse me, that were that were work orders related to HVAC. So you add in what we're charging for the 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 uh, for, not the preferred the the maintenance system that we have, the mm -hmm. proactive maintenance that we have that we charge the owners for every year. Even that, you're looking at thirty or forty thousand most in revenue. Yeah. Here's my point: Can you hire a technician for that much? No. Correct. That's my point. So it just did not make sense for now. If I was spending two hundred thousand dollars in in HVAC costs on an annual basis, and I could hire one technician for fifty thousand, maybe another technician for another fifty thousand, there's a hundred thousand in spend, two hundred thousand in revenue. That's a business model. Absolutely. The only other thing I would say too is a lot of people also miss parts. If you buy in bulk you get some deals with Home Depot Lowe's that you're buying in certain bulk, that's a, that's a benefit and a cost reduction that you're able to bring, but parts are a big um, upsell opportunity as well. That you're able to go in, potentially even can inventory some items, you can buy 20 toilets, because you know you're gonna replace them, and you can buy them at a bulk discount, and then when you sit there and do it, you mark it up to consumer price of what it would be for Home Depot. I've seen PMs make an absolute <coughs> killing on that. 
I mean, they're acting as an HVA service. If they have the storage, they can buy the whatever coolant is now in yeah. vogue. What is it, Freon or Neon or whatever? I mean, it's, Aeon, Aeon. Aeon, it's like they change it every year. Like this, yeah. this coolant's being outlawed, and so you can only use this coolant. But then the big thing is they have storage, so they could buy 10 evaporators and then store them somewhere. They could buy all the parts and store them somewhere. They do make a good, good killing on that. But the thing that really irritated me the most on that research of that model was the regulations of the licensing. Yeah. To work mm -hmm. as an HVAC contractor, you have to have a certain license in your state. And where I am, it's so difficult. Yeah. I mean, the barrier of entry is high in that regard. Mm -hmm. It just didn't seem worth it. So we're like, nope, we're just gonna use our, our trusted third-party vendors. And then what we do, this is the punchline on this, we do a preferred vendor program. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm not gonna draw this out in crayon for people to understand it. It's been out there from the beginning of time. Preferred vendor program, you discount your invoices, you charge your owners for maintenance. Yeah. That's where you can generate the revenue. And I tell PMs all the time, like, oh, I can't charge my owners for maintenance. Well, what happens if there's a lawsuit? Who's getting dragged into it? Whose general liability insurance is overshadowing everything that you do in that, in, in that, in that realm of doing maintenance? So yes, you should charge for maintenance. You should make revenue. You should make a profit on maintenance because 100%. you're the one on the hook. Yes. As soon as you make a phone call to a vendor, you're acting as a general contractor. Well, and I think one of the things that, you know, I've, I've become a big fan of, and one of the things on our roadmap that we have coming up is um, preventative maintenance programs solicited to owners. Like one of the things that's really important is if you have summertime, and we know how busy HVAC techs are, if you can actually start distributing some of that load throughout the rest of the year, it brings down the cost for the owner, it makes it more predictable work for internal technicians and making sure you don't have those high slugs. Um, and, and ultimately, it's an awesome revenue generation source. Um, so one of those things that, that we're doing is actually we got to find more ways to quit having those things happen in the major slugs that we know is going to be $700 bill to an HVAC uh, to an owner. How do we make that $100 bill? Um, or $150 bill over here, catch some things early. If we got to replace stuff, we're not paying peak prices. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the sort of stuff, it's a it's a win-win-win that we're looking for and back to that owner retention, you only get 1800 bucks or you know, you did that math for that particular rental, you only get 1800 bucks. How do you, do you really want to play that game or do you want to sit there and start finding ways to, to move some of that out? But it plays into the internal technician. Yeah, now we built a preventative maintenance program at RentWorks and what we end up doing is we charge the owners monthly for this service and execute the service twice a year. And we use a third party vendor, several air conditioning companies in San Antonio. And the biggest thing is we catch, we are intending to catch a lot of times where tenants aren't changing filters yeah. or they're not maintaining the system or you just find it in complete disarray. You could fix it in March yeah. versus wait until July when it blows up. Yeah, and not only that, like I think some of these preventative things of just happening before, and which I think is fantastic, by the way, I think that I would love to hear more about the, the preventative program and charging the monthly, because I'm, I'm so bullish, like 97% of maintenance and property management is reactive, and my background's manufacturing, that is the most expensive, most unplanned, most pain in the rear experience, so how do we move 50% of that to preventative? Um, but, so I'd love to learn more about that, but you know, I'm so, I think the, the landlord market, so the thing that kind of like to wrap on why I think maintenance is such a competitive advantage is if you're doing things like that and you're telling a landlord, a prospective landlord, hey, listen, these are all the things that we do to keep your costs down. We want the industry to know that landlords cannot deliver as good an NOI managing themselves as a professional can. Now we gotta do some things. It's all the preventatives. It's vertically integrating part of the business. It's finding those things that you can reduce their costs while not sacrificing profit. Um, but I think this is such a huge landlord market play if done right. That's gonna be the challenge. And I'm thinking through this to try and get some sort of metric KPI synopsis mm -hmm. of you're gonna make more with a property manager than you would on your own. Because that, you see, you're laughing about yeah, it because you're thinking, how are you going to illustrate that to imagine the most difficult landlord who knows everything about everything. Just ask them and they'll tell you. Yeah. And you say, I'm going to make you more money by using our services. They're going to be like, whatever. Yeah. I'm going to go back to my bigger pockets, bigger pockets, you know, uh, yeah. uh, diatribe. I'm going to I'm going to read all about how much they hate property managers in there. But at the end of the day, why is all this institutional money coming 
to this industry is because they see it yeah. from an uber high level that the return on your investment is better with a property manager. So the so we'll even take it to like uh, so, so there's some things in IoT that make a ton of sense financially. IoT, uh, yeah, uh, Internet of Things. So you think about a smart lock, smart thermostat, water leak detection system. Um, so institutions are really quick to adapt that because they understand the statistical likelihood of say a water break in a home and the cost that's associated with it. Well, what is the cost to mitigate that risk? Throwing a water leak detection sensor in there and maybe a smart lock for access of keys and rekeying costs and everything like that. Those are becoming widely adopted. But one of the things we keep hearing in the, the space with the individual owners is why would I spend that money? Now, the important thing is for us as an industry, we need to make a compelling argument that says, here's exactly why, and we have to make it an insurance cost, right? How do you make it to where they recognize it is a bad financial decision to not do this versus do? Specifically, what piece of hardware are you talking about necessarily? I'm huge. I, me personally, I've had uh, my basement flood and I, had a wa I didn't have any water leak detection systems. I had to flood brand new carpet. I had to do all this stuff. Like I put water leak detection sensor, caught it next time and it saved me probably five grand. Like yeah. it's a $20 freaking thing. It, yeah. It's not expensive. You got to have the hub and some other things. But, um, but that's like the big one I'm a huge fan of. Thermostats I'm a huge fan of, especially up in the north. If you've got a vacant property and somebody goes and shows or doesn't show and that thing's sitting at... 65 or the temperature drops to 30 and you got a potential pipe break, you know, those sort of things, even though the likelihood happening is low, the cost of failure is so high that it's like, I get it, but how much is your de you know, deposit that you have to it's, put down on a repair? It's kind of like mechanical insurance. Because the other thing I really like in that realm is there's a device you can put into the uh, flood tray of an air conditioning um, vent or air, air conditioning uh, evaporator upstairs, for example. So if, you know if they start to flood or mm. a water heater starts to flood, that thing will fill up and it'll go just like the, the huh. flooding of a basement. Really? So, yeah. So some of these homes, they put a, this is crazy, a water heater upstairs. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. It's some, Hey, some yeah. places, right? It's a thing. And then there's a tray underneath it. And so if the water uh, heater fails, that thing would go off. And you can get to it and turn the water off. So, so, so when I'll even say, like, we, we have things happen all the time. I think IoT is a portion of this, but it's not all of it. Like, we, you know, there's huge money going to IoT. IoT still catches things near failure. We think there's a way to catch things within the year. Um, the only way to realistically get maintenance to be the exceptional place is if you can start anticipating quarterly costs to maintain a property. That's where it is. But, <clears throat> but kind of back to the owner. Um, you know, one of the things we've even started to do for our customers is we've started to actually create handouts that they can put into their sales packet. Like, this is how we do maintenance differently. And some of those things, if they're including preventative programs and they're including the experience they're going to get, and especially if you're doing things that they don't do themselves, that's when it starts to really tick that, you know, I'm not doing HVAC inspections. I probably should be. I'm not doing crawl space inspections. I probably should be. I'm probably not inspecting that property semi-annually to find out if there's major damage before a renter leaves. I probably should be. And it's sitting there in their mind, sitting there, even if the numbers aren't completely there yet, it's in their mind sitting there going, they're doing this better than I mm -hmm. can. And I recognize I'm paying a fee. But I, got a, I got a really deep question now. This is, okay. this is down in the weeds, right? Oh, this, is, this is some boring tactical stuff okay. here. So you've heard of the maintenance deductible for tenants. Have you ever heard of this concept? Mm -mm. Okay, so maybe I'm asking the wrong question. Okay. But here's my argument on this. So we, we see, I've done this in the past. I've seen other property managers. They charge the tenant a deductible, deductible of, let's say, 50 bucks off of the first repair mm -hmm. in, that, in that year or that month or whenever. Mm -hmm. And so you see that, and it's a good idea. You're making the tenant not cry wolf. Yeah. Like if they want to cry wolf over a toilet or a fence or something, mm -hmm. they're going to pay the first 50 bucks of it. Mm -hmm. And that's, in my opinion, that kind of discourages them from turning in work orders because mm -hmm. they're going to end up having to pay for that. But I, I, I've seen and heard property managers swear by it. Mm -hmm. And I, just, I was curious if you ever saw anything like that in dealing with all the property managers that you deal with. So one of the things that I, I am a fan of, and I, I don't know how this impacts it, if you can find a way <clears throat> to get the renter to stay longer, 
you ultimately delay that turn cost that most likely is incrementally not that much more as years goes on, recognizing if they're there five years, six years, you're almost doing a rehab. Correct. But if you can get a renter to stay from two years to three years, the amount of cost that that owner experiences and the better chance that they're gonna stay is, is there. So how do you make sure and balance that to where it's like, I got this pace and I gotta pay 50 bucks for something that broke that, that didn't. I don't know how that impacts it. But to your point, like how do you get them to not cry wolf on something unnecessary? So I, I don't know, it's a super interesting concept. One of the things that I, I, I don't know if there's a way to do this, and I think this kind of plays into the preventative where I think you can kind of tackle both. I've heard of people actually doing three month or six month prior to inspection to lease ending. Mm -hmm. And basically, that's when they actually start finding ways to collect from the resident prior to the lease ending because the worst thing that can happen is they leave a place in disarray and there's not enough even in the deposit to basically cover that. Right. Um, but anyways, it's an interesting, it's an interesting idea. I'm, I'm curious how it all pans out with that, if there's a correlation to lease length, the well, amount of generation. and It's one of those things you hear about. I've seen it done. We yeah. did it for a little bit, but this was 10 years ago. Yeah. And I just, I don't like it any longer because my focus is getting renewals. Yeah. Because yeah. when is the owner going to leave you? It's when there's a vacancy. And if you can get the tenant to be happy, yeah. like don't don't give them a bunch of you know charges that are just unfair, because yeah. that's going to be frustrating for a tenant. And air conditioning goes out in July, and they have to pay fifty dollars either that right on the spot or the next month. And dealing with home warranties is another thing. I mean that that's really going to make these tenants just want to bail. Yeah. And that's where you, it causes problems. And I think what you said there is like getting that renter to stay longer. Um, <clears throat> I think that's one of the sales pitch things. Like a landlord, when's the last day, you know, a lot of the times it's been peace of mind, eviction, you don't want to do that, that's uncomfortable, standing outside the thing is the sheriff's taking crap yeah, out sure. of that. Yeah. Like you can sell that all day, but if this person's sitting there going, all right, what, what is your turn cost when you do turn over a property? I don't know. Well, ours is this. How long do you keep a renter? I don't know, how there, ours is this. It's becoming an investment now. I had a great conversation with, uh, with, a, with another property manager and I was sitting there going, I was like, can we actually start getting owners? Because most owners are onesie twosie, they're maybe accidental or something like that. Can we actually get them to be called within that first year of being a client from calling themselves an owner to calling themselves an investor? Like if you can train if you can change that, it's it's less about I need to like, oh my goodness, are they treating my house okay? To thinking of it as an asset, to thinking of risk, to thinking of cost reduction, to thinking of margins, to thinking about these other things. Like when you start proposing, hey, we'd like to make this investment, we think it'll increase the resident retention by. That'd be a great tagline. 12, 20%. Think of this, Ray. What? We turn owners into investors. <clears throat> I, I'm on trade market. You please I, I got do. dibs. I got dibs. Say, I get it. I, can I write that down too? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Honestly, that does happen in reality because we have a lot of reluctant landlords in our market, a lot of military. Mm -hmm. And so they buy a home. Okay, now Uncle Sam says you got to move. I don't want to sell it. I may come back. I may not come back, but I'm going to keep it as a rental mm -hmm. property. Now I need a property manager. So there are semi-reluctant landlords, mm -hmm. but we take them and show them how it's done correctly. And they look at it like, well, why would I ever sell unless it's just I need my VA benefits back yeah. or, or I'm not coming back? Why would I ever sell? Because it's an easy button. You guys handle everything. You send me a check at the end of the month. I pay my mortgage. You know, in 10, 15, 30 years, that thing's going to be paid off. I'm going to have this huge asset that you guys built for me. I mean, that sideways pyramid is pretty attractive. You've seen it yeah. to where you start, you know, you're even, I buy it for X, it's worth X, yeah. and then it just goes north on the value and south on the on how much you owe, and it's just a reverse, it's a sideways pyramid. It, and, uh, and if property, man, we all know how expensive it is to acquire an owner. Like, it's very expensive. The more you can hang onto the backside for longer, and the better compelling argument you can make that you should come in and join this company creates that business to scale so much faster. And the, the client acquisition cost, okay, not yeah. the customer because yeah. we have clients as property managers, the client acquisition cost can run anywhere from 500 to 800 bucks on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And I say, who cares? And the reason I say that is because if you are conducting property management correctly, that potential owner, now to, that you are going to be trained to be an investor, should never leave you necessarily. Yeah. That home should never leave your inventory if you're doing things correctly yes. because 
If you manage for that owner, you turn them into an investor, and now they want a 1031 exchange. Okay, I'm gonna take your home, Mr. Investor, I'm gonna sell it to another one of my investors because I trained them that this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. So, and I'll even tell you how this all plays back into, so I mean, because I, I know maintenance, you know everything, you know all aspects of the business, the only thing I really know is maintenance. Um, when you start actually making those recommendations for investments in the property, when you start making those recommendations or advisement that, hey, invoice prices are up by 15%, like you're, you're now an advisor educating an investor, right? And you think about how that changes your ability to pitch preventative programs, pitch all these other things. The susceptibility to say, I think, like an investor now, this is a great return, when's my return on investment? It's fantastic. Illustration it's point there, I'm gonna give you one. So we get the debate of carpet or vinyl. Like the vinyl flooring, which yeah. is awesome. It looks like wood nowadays. Well, carpet's gonna be X, and then the vinyl flooring's just gonna be a little bit more than X. Mm -hmm. And we recommend always go with the vinyl because it'll last two or three or four times longer than carpet. Carpet, you gotta change out every five to seven years. IRS depreciates is at a seven year rate. And so we always recommend the vinyl and that's where you train an investor. No, spend the extra thousand bucks yeah. one time and put in vinyl and you're done with it. And a lot of people really like it. It's very attractive for renters. Yeah. And, and all, the, the last thing in that, if you've got an investor they're expecting you to present those, right? Like that's when they're relying on you again. When that HVAC comes up and fails and it's a 15 year unit, it's not a, oh my goodness, what did you do wrong? It's like, I recognize as an investor, these, this is the expenses. You can expect 8% uh, annually in maintenance costs. Well, great point then. So the, we're talking preventative maintenance. Yeah. So mm -hmm. we get a te technician that goes out in the spring and they discover, well, you got this going on and this going on. It might last another six months or a year, but I'm really kind of concerned about it. Mm -hmm. So all I did is we we changed the filter, we did this, we just a couple, like a hundred bucks, yeah. that's our charge. And so that report is presented to the property manager, which is gonna get to the owner. Next thing you know, six months later, the thing goes out and the owner's like, well, we knew about it a year ago or six yeah. months ago, we just kind of deferred it. Not a surprise, okay, yeah, here's the 10 grand to fix it, right? Or the five grand, whatever. It makes conversations easier. If they're an investor and yeah. they're thinking about it as an investment, it's not an emotional attachment to right. that property. I would not use the term, I told you so, but it's <laughs> yeah, almost no. an I told you so moment. There's a, there's a great quote uh, I heard from somebody, would you rather be right or would you rather be rich? <laughs> it's like, hey, listen, you know, this is what we did. Uh, you made the right call then, now we just gotta you know, do it, but anyways, yeah. That I told you so is, uh, is the rather be right. <laughs> well, what else you want to kick around here, Ray? Um, I think one of the things that we talk about is is uh, is really thinking about uh, landlords versus institution and the opportunity in third party property management today. Where do you think that's going? Oh man, I will tell you what. If I would have known starting a company and everybody that's in professional property management right now should be very excited. Uh, the ability to exit your business is probably better than ever. Um, is a great time to sell a business. Um, the ability to gain new clients is probably better than ever. And the size of the industry ultimately is going to keep getting bigger. Um, and I mean that from a couple of reasons. Uh, I, I think the ability for third parties to capitalize on these institutional monies, how amazing if you have an investor be able to bring in homes that you can manage. And I know we've seen this in 08, 09, but I actually think with the amount of money that's coming in, I think we're gonna really get to see those third-party property managements that are scale capable are going to have probably the best years in front of them if they can. So, um, so yeah, I'm super bullish. I couldn't have picked a better industry to be in. It was an accident, but this is gonna be really fun no, in the next I, five years. I love the industry. There's, there's ways to do good things on both sides, buyers, sellers, maintenance, all of the above, building wealth through assets. Just, it's just an amazing industry. I really do love it. And there's a couple things on that. So the institutional money is gonna be driving up, I think, some of the multiples that property management companies can sell for. And it's gonna be, we're gonna see some things that are gonna, management companies are gonna be coming on the market here pretty soon. And here's kind of why. Uh, right now it's a seller's market. And I've talked about this before, you know, I beat this, beat this drum before. It's a seller's market. Anybody who puts a home on the market is gonna sell it, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, we see property management companies losing doors like crazy, mm -hmm. five, 10, 20% of the inventory, but they don't have the business development machine to replace it. So now all of a sudden they lost 25% of their revenue. They, they're managing 100 less homes or 200 less homes. 
And it's just like this, oh crap moment. What do I do? I don't have the, the spine, the wherewithal. I don't have the patience, the time, the, the energy to go rebuild this. Now what? Then they want to cut and sell. It's a good time to cut and sell, really good time, because I think the multiples are high and the people that want to grow understand the capital value is there. I think this comes back to how do you hang on to owners today? Because that, that flip side is going to be painful of rebuilding back up. You've maybe, if you've got a brokerage as part of your property management firm, you're probably making more money than you've ever made in your business uh, right now. But there is an other side of that. And there's going to be people who have a stomach to rebuild and people that don't, like you said. Um, but I, I've been a huge proponent in going back to how do we make owners and investors, educating now while you still have owners, because we don't know how long the hot real estate market's gonna go. We don't know. Right. And so how do you make sure you got a business and defend that? How do you make sure you're still acquiring owners right now? Because um, remember, at RentWorks, we turn owners into investors. <laughs> that's so good, man. <clears throat> I like that. I'm glad you picked that up. I think that's great. But, it, but yeah, and it is. Um, it is going to be so big right now. But, you know, one of the things, and I, I did the math. I did a LinkedIn post on, I forget what number I used uh, for, let's assume there's $50 billion in the, in the capital market that says, hey, we're these funds, $50 billion in funds, partnering up with large institutions, large property management firms, property management firms, they can leverage that for $250 billion in assets, right? You put down 20% of the bank's loan, so you can buy 250 billion. I think the math that I ended up doing, and if I'm doing my numbers back right, it's only like 1.5 to 1.75 million homes in yeah, the US. What, what's the rental market in the US? It's 46 million. Yeah. So it's 22 million are in landlords. And even if they buy all the landlords, say they don't build to rent, which we know that they are, because that's a better, more controlled thing that I can deploy capital predictably and I can buy a hundred in a go, um, is even if they took it all from landlords, the landlord market is still 20 million. It is still the biggest market real estate holder in the United States. And it is the reason why the emphasis still needs to be there. Yeah, the build to rent model we touched on in the green room, but uh, we saw some stats come out of the Property Management Mastermind Conference where DR Horton, for example, is doing these build to rent communities. And essentially consider it like a multifamily community in a single family home dwelling. Mm -hmm. And so these units, instead of you know a thousand square feet stacked on top of each other, they're 2,000 square feet in a single story home. Yeah. And here's the punchline, and, and this is amazing. We may have talked about this before in other episodes, but they're making literally double. They're making double on that type of scenario where they build it and they sell it to one large institutional investor that comes in and drops a billion or whatever the math is. Yeah, it's super, it's super cool. So I'd love to talk about the build to rent, but one of the things I'd love to talk about before I jump into there is professional property management, third party property management can position themselves for both the landlord and the institution. One of the big things that I've been super bullish in is how do you make a case that their NOI on the property is better working with you than them doing it themselves. If we like looked at 08, 09, these institutions came in, they bought these properties, they gave to third party property management, then they, they then said, there's too much money in managing it, we're gonna rip it out and pull it out. <clears throat> now the problem is with all the capital, there's gonna be tons of home, that's a huge risk for an institutional player to say, I'm going to risk building this because there's some gain here, right? If you decrease the gain of, like we're gonna gain how much more NOI on these properties because we're self-managing, we gotta build all these, you know, these teams, we gotta build all these maintenance technicians, we gotta do it, like this is a huge animal for how much? Like it disincentivizes leaving. It's the same message for I think the landlord. You can ultimately get a better return with us than you can do it yourself, or close, or it's not worth the risk. So I just kinda wanted to throw that out there. No, that's pretty deep. <clears throat> I mean, think about that. That's some deep stuff, dude. That's, that's, that makes us feel good in a certain way because nobody wants to be hired by, pick the large institutional mm -hmm. investor name. Like we saw this in 08, 09, yeah. the, all the foreclosures were released and all of a sudden these people had these REOs, REO yeah. properties, and they were turning over two, three, 400 of these properties all at once to these big property managers. I mean, I'm not gonna drop names, but a colleague in my market was handed, I think, three or 400 properties in an REO situation. Mm -hmm. 30 days notice, they were all yanked out yeah, from underneath that hard. particular brokerage. 
And that particular company, they hired new staff, they changed the way they do things, they went all through this effort of bending over backwards to accommodate yeah. this, this REO player, and they just yanked him out. It's, that hurts. It, it does. And so how, like, and this is the thing that I think it's super important right now, be the company that they can't afford to leave now. Position yourself. It works for landlords, it works for retention and acquisition, but it also positions yourself really well to grow quickly. When they sit there and go, I got billions of dollars to put in here and I'm working with five different property managers, how many can you take? And if you make it so compelling, you can grow your business really freaking quickly while not focusing, not losing focus on the landlord. It's the same process, same business, everything else like that, but you can actually be ready to scale quicker. It's, a, it's the same operating model, in my opinion. Um, but I would say like the build to rent is super interesting because people are actually building for the renter. With amenities, with the dog parks, with the places that, I mean, they want to bring it together like a multifamily community and a single family space. Yep. It's an interesting concept. I think property managers should not be fearful of that. No. They, they should not. I mean, some of us look at like, oh, uh, I don't know. They, they got to go through a lot of hoops to get that approved. You know, in most of these markets, they have to go through city council. They have to go through all these different local entities to get a large structure like that approved. And so it's, it's past the point to, where you can do anything about it anyway. Yeah. They're, they And uh, the reality is still property managers can manage those. Correct. Like somebody is just buying it. Okay. Somebody's buying from a developer and they still need somebody to manage it. So if you're the one that's positioned there, it's fantastic. And think about that too. It's not all one owner. Let's say Dio Horton comes in and builds 100 units. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean they're going to sell all 100 of those <laughs> units to one particular owner. Yeah. They might sell one to... to one owner and then 10 to five owners I've, and there you go. I've actually heard a lot of those stories where they built with the intent to sell to one owner, but they ended up finding out that they could in the regular market make more money by splitting it up. And so that's a big problem right now. But the really cool thing about it is it standardizes all the appliances a lot of the times yeah. in there, standardize a lot of stuff. Again, you get a lot of some of the benefits of multifamily where they have standardization um, and bringing it to the sim single family world. Um, I think it's really, I think it's cool, um, can, candidly, but all build to rents are doing is expanding the pie. They're not taking from any of the pie that exists, they're just expanding it because they're putting new assets out there um, in single family that didn't exist before. Good stuff. Well, Ray, this has been a fantastic conversation. I'm going to leave you with two trademark sayings that I've always picked up now. The first one is, what's the plan? I ask that all the time, right? If I'm mm -hmm. on any sort of a trip, I wake up in the morning, what's the plan? And the people I hang out with, they're like, God, we're so sick of you asking that. Just, just go in the flow. I'm like, no, I need to know what is the plan. So there's your first trademark. And the second okay. one is? Turn owners into investors. I didn't even have to tell you. Yeah, dang it. That's I so good. That into your head already. I love it. It's such a good one. Well, thanks, Brad. I appreciate you coming down. I appreciate us getting to chat. It's always fun uh, getting to do stuff like this. Thanks, so. Ray. We'll see you soon. All right, thanks. Hey everybody, this is Brad Larson. I want to talk to you about a new podcast out there that I would highly recommend called 300 to 3000, How to Grow Your Property Management Company to Scale. One of the hosts is Matthew Whitaker. He's a good friend of mine. I've visited their operation and I really, truly respect what GK Houses has done and they are still doing. They are an experts at growing at a fast scale into a large scale business. So expect to hear the real world truth about all the mistakes the company has made growing into it and all the good things they're doing. Again, go to 300to3000.com, that's our website, and catch them on iTunes, Spotify, and or Stitcher. Look forward to hearing from good things from those guys. Take care. This has been a podcast episode by propertymanagementproductions.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, leave us feedback, and come back for our next episode.